Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, Mark Graben here. Welcome to episode 390 of the podcast. It is October 28th, 2020. My guest today is Keith Ingalls. He works for Raymond Corporation, and he is the TPS manager there. TPS, of course, meaning Toyota Production System. As far as corporate family trees go, Raymond Corporation is part of Toyota Material Handling North America, which is part of Toyota Industries, which is part of Toyota Corporate, which includes the automaker, of course. And so you might think, well, wait, why does a Toyota company need a TPS manager? Well, they do when that company, Raymond, was acquired by Toyota, which then creates a need to become more like Toyota instead of just being Toyota. So Keith and I will talk about a number of things, including what are the differences between TPS and what they call the Raymond Lean Management System, if any, and why does that terminology matter? What is the strategy of what Keith calls adopt and adapt, and why is that so important? So I want to thank Raymond Corporation for making Keith available and for sharing a video and resources that I've linked to in the show notes. You can find all that you can find a transcript and the video if you go to lean uh, the video of our conversation if you go to leanblog.org slash 390. We're joined today by Keith Engels. He is the TPS manager at a company called Raymond. And we're going to talk about the company and, and the work he does and what it means to be a TPS manager there. Um, so Keith, thanks for joining us. How are you? Very well, Mark. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate being on your podcast today. Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad you're here. I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation. And um, you know, I think it would help the audience because I was unfamiliar until sure. um, recently about Raymond. Um, so you know, maybe before talking about some of your career path and in your sure. role, um, if you can let people know about Raymond. And I'm going to let you talk about the corporate parentage, because I think that's an interesting dimension of it. Sure, sure. So let me share. I'll start with a little bit of the Raymond backstory. Uh, Raymond's a, a in upstate New York, small factory. Their big claim to fame in the material handling world, George Raymond Sr. actually patented the pallet originally, but he, he gave that patent out because he wanted to make equipment that moved it around. Hmm. So been around a long time. Uh, in the late 90s, um, Toyota Corp, which has a very large material handling equipment presence, uh, was looking at Raymond to purchase them. And they're a slow and methodical planning company. While they were looking at Raymond, BT came in and bought them in the meantime, a European uh, manufacturer. So Toyota stepped back and thought of for a minute. And then Toyota decided to buy both BT and Raymond. So uh, we've been part of uh, Toyota Material Handling North America for about 20 years. And that we roll up to Toyota Material Handling Group. You know, most people know the Toyota automotive side. But Toyota's manufacturer makes lots and lots of different products, one of which is, uh, of course, a very dominant uh, international share of material handling equipment. So and we are a part of that uh, chain. We focus in electric equipment in North America. And continuous improvement is a big, a big aspect of ours. It's helped our factory and it's helping our distribution network greatly right now. Yeah, well, it's no surprise being part of uh, the Toyota family of companies. Um, you know, I, I think of, uh, I mean, I've seen plenty of Toyota forklifts when I've had an opportunity to um, go and visit wineries and distilleries. The Toyota mm -hmm. fork trucks are often quite prominent and, and used quite a bit 
in moving uh, barrels or pallets of bottles around. So um, we do see that, but yeah, I think that is uh, maybe surprising to, to many people who only associate Toyota with cars. Yes. And yes. And et cetera. Yes. Oh, we make all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I, that's interesting history thinking back to speaking, you know, speaking of pallets and how ubiquitous that is, it's interesting. We might not think of that as a technology, but that was invented. Mm-hmm. That's uh, interesting that that was patented. Yes. Well, yeah, uh, people will join material handling, and that's I'm part of that logistics uh, supply chain, if you will. But people will join and start in this industry, and they'll say, oh, I don't see many forklifts uh, around. And then after you're in the business, you're going to see them everywhere. Because <laughs> yeah. it's a product that moves, we help move it. So yep. and it's, a lot of, it's a lot of fun. You see the big, bold Toyota letters uh, on the back. So, yeah, that mm-hmm. does jump out. And um, maybe you know, it would be good to hear a little bit about some of your own background, Keith. Um, you know, a little bit about your career arc. And you know, did, you really, did you first learn about the Toyota production system um, as, as part of Raymond? So, so I actually am a l- little bit unique in that I've been on both sides of the uh, Toyota material handling North America aisle. I started out on the Toyota side after many years in material handling. I had the opportunity to, to manage operations in the Cincinnati market for years uh, in a Toyota-owned dealership. And then uh, after several years there, I had the opportunity to move uh, to a training quality role at Carolina Handling, which is our Raymond dealership. And the two brands uh, support each other. So very familiar with Raymond and really like the product. It's, uh, it's, it's high-tech. It's, it's got a lot of cutting-edge activities. And I really wanted to join that group. I started my Toyota journey on the Toyota side uh, but had the opportunity after joining the Raymond side, we had uh, senseis come in. And for a little over two years, I had uh, uh, Hayakawa-san, Etsuhiro Hayakawa-san uh, was my sensei. Very fortunate to have worked with him very closely. He was very tough. And I learned an uh, incredible amount from him. You know, he just kept raising the bars. You know, continuous improvement, right? You lean, you know, get better, get better. <laughs> oh, that's good. Get better. <laughs> but celebrate celebrate maybe for a second and then on to the next challenge. Yes, very much the thinking and the culture of it. Yes, yes. But when you make that culture and make people realize they can do that, right? That it's within their grasp to keep getting better. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, good. We'll have a chance to explore that culture within Raymond and um, you know, the different lessons that, that come from Toyota. And, and even what you've learned there within Raymond is, uh, is uh, you know, a slightly different type of business. So, you mentioned some of that, um, you know, sensei education and coaching, you know, looking forward now, or I guess jumping ahead to today and, and more recent future, tell us about your role as a, a TPS manager. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, a Toyota company would, would need a Toyota TPS manager, right? So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun for, for me. Uh, um, sometimes we've, we've started to uh, brand it as Raymond Lean uh, Management on our side, just, just for our piece of recognition. But a lot of times people will tell me that I'm teaching common sense mm-hmm. and I won't disagree with them, but I will challenge them back and say, well, we, we're trying to make common sense, common practice. And then sometimes I'll get that light bulb going. So uh, it, it is a system, and the strength of, uh, of the system is it's developed for many years, and it's really always about simplifying things to take those small, manageable steps forward. Um, as you mentioned earlier, keep raising that bar. Right. And it's, it's, it's not meant to be overwhelming. It's truly meant to be fun. 
and help people understand how they contribute, what their role is in adding value to the, the greater organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we think we know that, but a lot of times we don't understand our value add. And when I can help people see that and, and learn how they can make it even better, it's just such a great experience. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I've talked to a number of guests. Um, yeah, this phrase common sense is interesting. Maybe we just kind of delve into that a little bit more because like to me, I think of it as hindsight common sense. Like after we've been exposed to it, people say, well, oh, well, okay, now that seems obvious. But there are many things about, you know, I think about TPS approaches, or if, if we'll call it lean, that are in some ways counterintuitive. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it, it, it is. Uh, for example, when we start to visualize things, um, one of the first challenges is getting people excited about the process. And one of the things we'll teach them is, well, we need to visualize it to make it apparent, right? And a lot of times we'll see them go from nothing to label everything. <laughs> and and we, we want to step back and say, does that add value? Mm. And so the rule of thumb becomes, does the visual add value to other people working in the area? And the more different people that work in the area, the more visual support you might need. And, and if that things like that become counterintuitive. You don't want me to label everything. Label it if it adds value. And well, you've got to think about it. Yeah. And they'll want to reach for a tool. And this is... It's not as easy as a tool. We're going to give you the thinking. We're going to teach you the method behind it, the concept. And then if you need a tool, grab the tool. Yeah. So. I I appreciate you saying that. Um, I've I've seen sometimes people out of enthusiasm, they go overboard and they'll label everything or they'll put tape around everything in in a 5S effort. And I don't mean to mock that, but I think, you know, there there are learning opportunities that come to light where, you know, I think of, you know, uh, I, I think expanding on your point, I think there's a different threshold and level required um, when when it is your own desk that nobody else uses. Yes. Versus, say, in a hospital setting, a shared nurses, quote unquote, nurses station that is used by dozens of different people in different roles um, in, in shared workspaces. But, you know, I can think of an example, maybe get your reactions to this of putting a label, printing out and putting a label on a printer that says printer. <laughs> doesn't add much, right? I mean, I think sure. it's chuckle or <clears throat> putting a tape out. I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. Maybe early days in my own lean journey, I, I, I did it, but you know, I try to coach people maybe to avoid some of that or to learn from it. If um, we start getting complaints that, Hey, this starts seeming silly, like putting a tape outline around a very heavy printer, like that printer never moves. It mm-hmm. never goes missing. Why would we have to put tape around at the show where it goes. But let's say you have three different printers in a shared nurse's station and there's constant confusion over which printer is which. Sure. But then putting a big sign that says printer A, printer B, printer C can help nurses or other people not expand their personal spaghetti diagram of running from printer to printer. Or, oh, which one did it print out on? Yes. Yes. Yeah. When there's frustration in the workplace, that's what we're trying to teach people to reduce. And, and you give a great example, you know, people mark stapler on their desk. I'm like, okay, do you know that your stapler goes there? Yes. Do you know someone use it? Yes. Okay. Then I don't, I don't need that visual. I had one group I'd been called out to work with as a vendor, a uh, battery company, and, and, and they were setting up a different workplace and they had tools, they had a big tool bench, right? And they weren't sure they'd never done the, 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 the prepare the workplace, you know, the kind of 5S thinking and to get the workplace ready. They'd never done it. And they very enthusiastically would lay out the tools and they would try to figure it out. And then they would 
carefully label every tool. Then they'd decide it, it didn't work that way, so they'd move stuff, and they'd carefully label everything again. So they called me back in. I didn't know they were doing this. They called me back in. They're very upset with me. We're labeling this stuff like crazy. It's just not working. And I said, wait. I said, you're still vetting out the process. They said, well, yeah. I said, okay, but you're trying to have a visual to help identify where the tools are. I said, yeah. I said, could you do something easier? I said, what do you mean? Well, what if I take a picture of the tools in place and hang it up by the tools? Could you tell where the tools go? Well, yeah. I said, great, do that. Take one picture. Mm-hmm. Don't label everything. Right. You could see the light bulb. You could actually see the light bulb go off like, oh, I said, I'm not trying to make it difficult. Yep. We just need to be able to see. That's all. Right. And until you get it vetted out, it's, it's going to take a while. I say, you know, uh, painter's tape and markers are your friend when you're first getting started because you're going to change it. Mm-hmm. You're going to change it. You've never done it that way before. So you're going to have learning and make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's your point of not making work harder. Like I think we step back and we, we could ask what's the value or what's the benefit or how is it helpful to mark where tools go? Because we might spend less time searching for tools. Like that's the important thing, right? And why is it, why does it matter to spend less time searching for tools? Well, our changeovers could be quicker. Why does it matter that our changeovers are quicker? Like we, we could continue that train of thought all the way back to, to purpose and, uh, and goals for the, for the company or the organization, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we want them to learn those, those early lessons too, because they're going to carry, they're going to carry forward as they become more advanced. And as they become more advanced, we teach them two different areas, um, just in time and Jadoka, we can refer to that as quality. So just in time and quality, and that's the customer experience. So those early lessons of visuals, they're going to carry forward, you know, they're getting more advanced, mm-hmm. uh, but the, they're still going to be there. You know, like ownership is a great, a great example. I'll walk in a parts area, for example, recently, and I said, oh, the, the area is a little bit disarray. I said, who owns it? Parts, parts team. I said, no, no, that wasn't my question. I said, who owns it? Well, the parts team. I said, no, no, you're, follow me on this. If everyone owns it, mm-hmm. no one owns it. <laughs> who in parts? Uh, I said, you need to specify that. And the other piece is, what a great boost to morale when somebody has maybe their name and picture in that area, that this is their area. Hey, that area is taken care of. The supplies are there. The tools are there. That, that area stays work ready. And then it carries on into delivering that on-time defect-free to the customer experience as they get more advanced in the process. Yeah. Well, and you, know, you talk about not making work harder. And um, there, I saw an article a couple of weeks ago. I blogged about it. Akio Toyota, CEO, of course, of Toyota um, Corporate, um, was teaching internally a class about the Toyota production system over in Japan. The one thing, the two things came out very strongly, clearly in that article when he talked about, you know, basically why is this important and in whatever order he really emphasized making work easier for people. Like that's how I was taught Kaizen going yes. back to Norman Bodak who learned from um, Toyota people and others in Japan, making work easier is an admirable goal. And it usually aligns with, being better for the company. And then the second thing he emphasized was shortening lead times, which yes. is that just in time focus. And then, you know, Jadoka and built in quality helps us reduce lead times. I mean, this all sort yes. of goes hand in hand. So there's, there's this, this consistency in, in what I hear you saying in upstate New York and, and what your parent company CEO is saying over in Japan. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. The Raymond Network's very aligned with it. And in fact, at the factory level, um, years ago when they first started the production TPS at Raymond Factory, 
um, you know, we were land, it's landlocked. It's in a small upstate New York Valley and it's just, there's just nowhere to go, right? Geographically. Um, so they had to boost production within that footprint and they've done that some, you know, two and a half times over, you know, where our, our production was, you know, about two and a half times greater today than it was before we started that system. And it was fact, our production is greater than they anticipated that factory output to be capable of when they calculated it. So it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's doing ultimately more with less. Mm-hmm. We don't watch people get in tremendous uh, results with this stuff, but one of the challenges is you can't let it overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I like that in your, in your, your measures of success book, you know, how do you get metrics, but don't make them overwhelming, right? That's one of our challenges as well. You know, if you look at the entire mountain and you say, I've got to ascend to the peak, that's a daunting task. But if you just look in front of you and say, I'm going to take a step, well, I can do that. Okay, well, great. Now take another step. And and now all of a sudden, you know, after a while, you're taking steps, you're looking around going, hey, I'm going up the mountain. Right. And you have this realization. And it's kind of to your point, it is a little counterintuitive. Uh, you know, we, we think we have to jump to the top of the mountain and that's not even possible. <laughs> you know, we can, we can, we can get there, but. Well, it's, it's, it's one step at a time. And I've seen that um, work well in, in different organizations that embrace um, Kaizen as, you know, daily continuous improvement, small steps, baby steps, small improvements. And, you know, I think back to one of my previous podcast guests you might be interested in, Keith, um, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Moore, who's a professor of psychology at UCLA. And as a clinician, he went and studied um, Kaizen as a series of principles and practices. And he makes a lot of interesting connections to the way our brain works. And, you know, kind of, I think the, the key point summary of, of what he's um, discovered, which I think would you know, it seems intuitive to those of us who have experience with this is that um, when people propose a really large change, it can become overwhelming. So if a doctor tells a patient, you need to start exercising 45 minutes a day, that seems overwhelming. The fight or flight instinct in our reptile brain kicks in. And then guess what? We, we do nothing. And Dr. Moore learned, um, and, and this is what you reminded me of, um, you know, coaching patients to say, well, you're home on the couch watching TV, commercial comes on, get up and walk in place for 30 seconds. And then 60 seconds, and then the entire commercial break. And, you know, and and he's learned that, you know, gosh, if we don't get started with baby steps, we'll probably never get started. And getting started with baby steps allows us then um, to take bigger, bigger leaps and make more progress. Absolutely. Well said. Also. I'll um, I'll share a link off to look up that um, episode number. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, no, that sounds very, very, very exciting. I'd like to see that. So, yeah. Uh, so I was going to ask you more. You mentioned the Raymond Lean Management System. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious from your perspective, is that meant to be different from TPS or the Toyota Way? Or is it really a matter of the labeling and what you call it? That it's Raymond's system and you use the word lean. I'm curious if you could tell us more about that. Sure. So, so across the Toyota network, um, TPS is, is adopted. So we, we use the expression adopt, then adapt, mm. adopt the system first, the way it's taught, but then adapt it to your specific needs and your specific, uh, requirement customer experience really. And so, uh, Raymond lean management is our adaptation and it has some interesting, um, uh, migrations. So it's the same system, you know, exactly, but it's our adaptation. And for example, we're rolling it out now, this is my role to the distribution network, our solution and support centers. 
and we're going into them. In some instances, this is a, a maybe a new thing for them, and they're they're very quality focused. But we're we're giving them this this structure and this system to kind of speed that up, uh, that thinking up, and implement it faster by those small rapid steps, right? So it can be a little bit of a shift, a little bit of a change, and also you know. Um, I, I was taught the Japanese, and so I'm very comfortable with it. But I find teaching students, you know, American students sometimes get lost in Japanese, and that's that's not the value add. You know, if I if I can teach you go and see, and you don't want to learn Genshi Genbutsu, that's fine. <laughs> I need you to go out to know that you've got to go see the problem uh, for real and 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 at the space so that you understand. So there's those concepts we march out, and in Duan, so we've got we've put together some great um, training uh, for it. Because we don't have that immersive environment. If I walk into a Toyota facility, it's, it's Toyota culture, right? It's an immersive environment. In some of our network, we're building that environment and starting really often at lower levels and building up. It's very exciting when they get to the point they, they bring customers in for tours and customers are like, oh, this is how you do things. And they see the visuals and then it's like, ooh. And then that really, that really energizes them to do more. And then we try to, we will support customers when they ask, but we try to control that because we can easily be overwhelmed. A lot of people want to do this stuff and uh, we want to support them. Well, so that, that choice of language is part of the adapt, like you said. Um, Absolutely. Like earlier when I was thinking about forklifts and wineries and distilleries, I I very intentionally, I almost said like, Oh, when I get, uh, go to the Gemba at a winery, like, well, I don't have to say it that way. I could just say it. When I go to a winery where the wine is made, yes, you know, um, as a translation to that. So yeah, it's interesting to think about where words become a barrier. Genshi Gembutsu in the Gemba versus go and see at the shop floor. Exactly, different ways well, of expressing the same thing. One of those um, sets of words might sometimes be a be a barrier, and, and, and so it's very situational depending on say the organization. I'm a part of some people really embrace the words and say, well, these are new concepts. So we're going to learn a new word to help uh, maybe better explain the concept. And then there's some places that say, yeah, let's keep the language simple. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and to your point, one of the barriers we found, uh, I guess I didn't really anticipate it, maybe should have, but the word production, people hear production, and think, oh, you're talking about factory lines. I'm like, without a doubt, it's, it's more famous for being on a factory line, but mm-hmm. It's the simple thinking, you know, getting a workplace ready, that doesn't matter what you do. And that can be at home. You know, we talked the other day about, um, do you take this at home? I'm thrilled when I see people take it home because then I know they're going to bring it to work. You know, wherever you start and you see this stuff works, that's, that's fine because you'll bring it to work. Yeah. And, and it's got to be simple, you know, and it's just got to be within that grasp. So production would, would just cause people to stop. So now I'm not a production. Oh, but yeah. Back up, breathe, follow me on this. <laughs> yeah. So there's that translation from Toyota production system to mm-hmm. Raymond, Raymond mm-hmm. system, lean, ma- yeah. Instead of production, it's, yes. it's lean, lean management. Um, and, and you emphasize, you know, the, the other thing I wanted to maybe unpack a little bit is the idea of it being a system. Like how, how yeah. do you help articulate System to me implies there are interconnected pieces. How do you how do you teach that within Raymond? Well, so Mark, I think you know we've talked a bit, and you, you might have picked up one. I like to tell stories and share examples. And uh, one of the I things I'll exactly except when, except when I interrupt. Sorry. No, you're fine. But uh, 
uh, one of the examples I started using was uh, we're trying to bring a beautiful orchestra together, right? With all the instruments playing beautiful music, working in concert together to make this gorgeous music, this, this magnificent experience. But I have to teach these one instrument at a time. Now, I can't teach you the whole orchestra. I can't teach you the whole piece of music. But today we can study, you know, the trumpet. Tomorrow, maybe the violin. The next day, maybe the, the flute and so on. And people started, oh, <laughs> so you're going to get bits and pieces. And that's okay. And the other thing, Mark, I teach a lot. And I find a lot of my uh, trainers picking up from me. I go around saying, you can't break this system. You can't break TPS. You can't break RLM. You can't break it. So people will say, I don't, I don't want to try. I'll break it. You won't break it. You might learn something that didn't work <laughs> and that's okay. And you need to embrace that because people will say, well, how did you get so good at this? I'll say, first, I'm not that good at it. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. that's given me a lot of experience. <laughs> and I have some great stories of things that didn't work well. And I'm happy to share those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's come back to that. I got a note down here about, um, yeah, we'll come back to that theme of learning through mistakes. Um, that, that's, that's an important topic for me. But I, I was going to come back to this idea of it being a system. It is Raymond's system. Because, when you talk about a, adopt and adapt, what happens um, when we talk about maybe evolution? If there are different needs within the Raymond business compared to Toyota, how much can that system evolve on its own, even if it's, it's a slightly different evolutionary path? than what Toyota is taking? Like, is part of your job to kind of reconcile some of that? Or, to, uh, if you, yeah, tell us about that, please. So, so we'll, we'll help an area, and, and generally we'll start in the simple pieces, which is workplace organization, or what I like to refer to as workplace readiness. And that's really what people will term 5S. Mm-hmm. The first time we teach 5S, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Mark, people think, oh, you mean housekeeping? I mean a lot more than housekeeping, you know, workplace ready as supplies, tools, and order. Then we're going to take that into, and you mentioned before, just in time, that's really flow. We want the process to flow. Whether we're delivering a service or a product, we want that process to flow. And we're going to ask really leading questions. Can we see what, can we see what our day's activity is for our customer expectations? Can we see that? Is there a schedule of activities? And that doesn't matter in our world with, with if it's parts, if it's service, if it's a rental orders, whatever that, that customer expectation we're, we are fulfilling, can we see and respond to it effectively? And then the other piece, big piece is, is quality. So are we doing that customer expectation? Are we meeting it consistently and getting better at it or, or worse? And do we know? And how do we know? So we've got to have those visuals and, and go through it. So depending on where the challenge uh, piece is, uh, will be where we'll give some focus and, and ultimately, it's it, the other pieces will be drawn in. If you start working, and you mentioned it earlier, if you start working on uh, just-in-time resource flow, if you make a lot of uh, disruptions or defects, as we'll refer to them, that's going to impede that flow. So then you're going to have to start, oh, wait, I, I've got to improve my quality. So they, they work in tandem. You, you don't really do one without the other, but it's okay to, to start in one area and then start kind of realize and draw in the other areas. So that's how we, we start to teach it. We, we, in, as you said earlier, we're trying to make it easy for people because if we start to give them the system, there are books, there are libraries on this stuff. <laughs> and they'll just we'll, we'll blow them apart. Yeah. Our, our objective is to make them realize they can contribute and be part of this, even at the earliest levels. Yes, so. yes. And 
that idea that everybody can contribute comes back to um, you know phrases uh, either respect for people or respect for humanity, which you know those phrases are, are used a lot um, by Toyota. And um, challenge is a word that's used a lot as well. Where I think sometimes I want to hear more of your thoughts on this. Where sometimes people maybe misunderstand respect as being easy on people. Mm-hmm. Whereas challenge, and, and you told story earlier about uh, the senseis um, sort of, you know, pushing in a positive direction. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about the dynamics of how challenge um, is, is respectful? Oh, sure. That's a great, those are two values that are really important. And in the cultural piece is one we'll kind of work on. It's, it's a little bit intangible, right? But you can feel it, right? And, and the respect piece is, to your point, it's not about being easy on people. It's really about helping them find their strengths and, and let that shine. And that challenge is part of how we do that. We're not talking about a disrespectful challenge would be um, blaming people as opposed to look at the process. Right. People, in my experience, want to add value. They don't always know how. Then the other uh, paradigm shift you get into is if I do this process every day, I'll, I'll work into a habit and I'll have a, a system, whether it's documented or not, it may be what we call tribal knowledge and not document, but I'll have a way I do things. And after a while, I'll quit looking at that for improvement because that's just how I do it. Right. So we want to challenge them to step back and look at that. You know, I don't, I've, I've been in customer sites all over the country beyond, beyond, you know, just logistics. And so I don't walk in these customers and have expertise of what they do. Uh, but I, I have a, an array of great questions to ask to draw on their expertise and see what what they know uh, could be done or needs to be done when I help them see with a different set of eyes. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. You know, we, we respect that who is the expert of the work being performed. It's the person that does the work, right? Yeah. So we respect that. But we also are going to draw that out that, you know, my job or our job as coaches is to support that and help them draw out things that they're they're trying to see, but maybe just a, just a little too close and just back them up, breathe for a moment. Tell me, as you said earlier, tell me how to make it easier, right? That's great coaching. Yeah. Because if I say, tell me how to make it efficient, I, I don't I don't get a lot of answers for that. Right. But I say, tell me how to make it easier. I'll give you a list. That list is Kaizen opportunity. <laughs> That's improvement opportunity. Let's go through that list. Let's make some of these changes. Yeah. I wish I had, you know, you know, some uh, some some supplies here at the ready. Okay, let's work on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish I knew when those trucks were scheduled to go out. Great, we can help you. You know, and and it becomes this really robust conversation. So. Yeah. And you know, when you you talk about challenge and. I think I heard you touch on this, but I'm going to ask you to elaborate. Um, you know, you talk about kind of coming at, let's say, if you're going into a new organization to help them adopt and adapt yes. TPS, Raymond Lean Management System. Uh, there are, you can come at it from one direction of, I'm going to teach you certain methods and approaches. But then, um, you know, I go back to one of you know, the, the Taiichi Ono famous green book. There's one chapter where the header says, start from need. Yes. Where's the balance of, of engaging people versus looking at uh, you know business objectives or challenges or gaps that 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 need to be solved in a, a measurable way? Sure. So uh, measurements is one of the getting those early metrics is one of our key ongoing key challenge. Um, if we're successful getting people excited to start to implement, the best way I can say is I've observed it is planning doesn't feel like doing. 
So if they get excited, they jump in and start doing. And then somebody like me will come in or, or you, Mark, and we'll say, so how much impact did you have? Well, it feels like a lot. Uh, no. <laughs> I need the measurement. <laughs> and so we'll start to coach them to get that baseline uh, metric. And the other thing where, where we try to coach them is, you know, one, one step at a time. If you implement five changes simultaneously, uh, three of those might have helped you. Two of those might actually have set you back and, and you don't know which did what. So, so it's that kind of slow down to speed up mentality. Like, I don't want to do one at a time. It's going to move you faster. You know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of moving fast. Speed is key, you know, we'll say, but, but to do that, you got to slow down. I'm not telling you to slow down to slow down. I'm telling you to slow down so you can actually speed up. <laughs> and, that, and that's one of those things that I think is counterintuitive and in yes. hindsight seems like common sense to people maybe, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, it, you know, it, it, an important thing is understanding cause and effect. And, th- and this is something I've learned from, uh, Toyota people that I've uh, former Toyota people I've worked with and, and learned from like, you know, Pascal Dennis and others always talking about, you know, testing and evaluating cause and effect. We um, have uh, a countermeasure, we test it and see what the effect is. And, you know, yeah, to your point, if we're testing multiple things at once, that cause and effect gets confused possibly. Yes. yes. Yeah. But it feels like it, it makes us feel good because we feel like oh, we're doing so much. That's <laughs> yeah. not maybe not a good thing. And that, to your point, being part of that counterintuitive, we have to teach a little bit. So, yeah. yeah. And, and making the measurements, the metrics uh, palatable. A lot of times, and, and, and you know this, Mark, people get afraid of measuring things or they get afraid of metrics or they think it's, it's overwhelming. And, and it's really not. We're just, if you can give me number of physical steps, for example, then I can convert that to time. You know, I mean, we have formulas for that. Just give me how many steps did it take to you before and you move like if a cabinet of tools and you moved it closer and how many steps did you reduce and how many times did you do it three times a day times, you know, we can figure that all out. So it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, take that intimidation factor out of the measurements, but yeah. uh, it's, it's one of the challenges because, oh, let's just stump and start doing. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> plan, planning is good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And plan, do, study, adjust. And that's where, or do, do you tend to use, so here's a terminology thing and it's sure, yeah. not a major thing, but like, do you um, say plan, do, check, act or plan, do, study, adjust? There's different versions of that language. It's, it's the mindset that matters, but what language do you use? We, we teach it from plan, do, check, act, just because we find it the more common uh, terminology. But uh, I suspect, cause I've heard you use adjust a lot. I, I actually prefer adjust, uh, myself, but I'll teach is that just so people get used to it because it's really, and the other thing we teach is it's a, it's a cycle. Right. And, and one of the things I find it necessary, the analogy I use Mark is um, I said, you know, would you, would you go out in your driveway, start your car and roll your car forward one rotation of the tires? I said, well, no, that's, that's, that's silly. I wouldn't get anywhere. I said, okay, PDCA, don't stop at one rotation. Keep going. Because <laughs> that's what's going to get you there, and I, because they'll want to. Well, I went through the whole cycle. Okay, <laughs> let's keep on that. Not the cycle, but cycle. Not the cycle. The cycles. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the mindset that matters more than the words. I, you know, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, you know, I've had chances to go to Japan. Different companies who talk about PDCA, they'll say, you know, a very common expression, or at least through the translators, is you know, spin the PDA, spin the PDCA cycles. Yes. 
And uh, so I, I need to PDSA. Uh, yeah, I, I planned, I, I tried to say it, and those words didn't come out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> but defect. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Well, I like the study piece, too, because it tells us, you know, what have we learned? And that's one of those, those things. Sometimes people frustrate us. Oh, well, this didn't work the way we thought it would. Great. That means we learned something. Right. You know, that's, that's not a wasted effort. There's a value add in, in learning. Uh, so, you know, when we, we assess that value add, making mistakes can be very value add. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't always, somebody, well, that's a, that doesn't sound right. Sure it is. Um, I'll tell coaches that. Sometimes you have to let the student struggle mm. because that's how they learn, right? If you just give them the answer, you know, you're handing that proverbial fish instead of teaching them the fish, right? That's not sustainable. So, so got to let them struggle a bit. I'm not talking to the point of frustration, but let them struggle to go, Oh, wait a minute. I, I see. <laughs> yeah. That's that's, and that gets back to your, your question on how do we respectfully challenge? Yeah. That's part of that. If, if yeah. we hand them the answers, they didn't learn. Yeah. That's a great point. And it's just one other thought, um, you know, when it comes to the, that language, I, I, I almost wish uh, instead of plan do that we would say plan test because to, to me yes. that, that that word test implies um, something that we will learn from where uh, I think sometimes I, I've seen unfortunately an organization uses the language but they think very linearly we planned we did we checked it we acted we're done yes um, so yeah so I'm glad you emphasized those iterative cycles yeah. I like that test, Mark. I'm always going to give you credit for sharing that with me, but I am going to use that just so you know. <laughs> so it's part of, uh, I guess, a high-level uh, PDCA cycle in life. We we plan the language we use, we do, and then at some point we can study and adjust and say, you know, I don't know. PTSA might yep. confuse people with the parent-teacher student. <laughs> <laughs> but. But, but yeah, one other thing I was going to ask you about words. Um, so there are, uh, oh boy, sometimes I, and I try not get, getting drawn into it, but sometimes you see um, just these really looks like time consuming debates online about um, lean versus TPS. And there are some people mm-hmm. that will argue vociferously that lean is different. And then there are some that will say, well, lean is just a different term that, that Womack and Jones and Krafzik and others used mm-hmm. to try, um, you know, just as a, a more palatable label. Let's say when I started my career at GM, nobody, you couldn't say the word Toyota. Mm-hmm. The word lean has its, its challenges. But sure. back, I guess, you know, the question I was going to ask you, do you view, at least the way you are, are approaching lean, lean and TPS as synonyms, or is there, is there more to it than that? How do you see things? Um, I always get feedback. You know, we talk about the value add and really the value add is from our customer. And as a coach, as a leader, an instructor, my customer is my student. So I have to find ways to communicate to them that resonate. And a lot of times I find myself uh, saying continuous improvement, lean in, in kind of a comparative. If you think of lean, really, that's leaning out an existing process, right? That's getting that resource down and the flow, really getting it right. But if I say continuous improvement, Sometimes it feels like I can say, well, I may change the process entirely. You know, I may not use a landline phone anymore. I may go to a mobile phone. It's a completely different process. Or Zoom so, altogether. Exa- or Zoom, exactly, altogether. So, so how, do we, um, how do we get our thinking to broaden? You know, we use the same thing with our customers. And part of our uh, education is optimize before you automate. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, want them to learn to look at their process before we. You know, we have some great automation solutions, but if if it just speeds up the defect rate, we're all going to have a bad experience. <laughs> so so let's look at that process. Make sure it's at least pretty good um, before we start. You know, <laughs> don't don't automate the wasted motion. Ex- exactly, not yeah. part of the uh, the equation with yeah. that. And to your point, to your point earlier, that's not that's one of those counterintuitive points too. Well, I'll just speed everything up; it'll be great. Not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to also kind of make reference to, you know, you you, you bring up um, you know uh, very frequently this idea of you know what what is your value add? Who is your customer? And uh, recently, I had a chance to interview um, Steve Spear, who in his study of Toyota was able to go work and learn directly from uh, Mr. Oba, Hajime Oba, who um, just passed away in September. He was very famous um, as, you know, uh, among other things, you know, he created the um, TSSC organization, um, Toyota, originally called Toyota Supplier Support Center. And, you know, um, and, and Steve, Spear was, um, you know, sharing his recollections of how Mr. Oba would go into a workplace and he would go and talk to an individual and ask, um, you know, from whom does this work come? Looking up to like, you know, the internal supplier. And, yes. and, and Steve was remembering that Mr. Oba wanted a name, not to single out or blame, but in right. terms of relationships and respect, it was like, well, you know, Steve um, said, well, you know, the answer would be, well, that comes from Alice not that comes from final inspection. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Mr. Oba really emphasized, um, you know, then who is your customer for this work? Um, so I guess it's, it's a roundabout way of asking either, um, did you have a chance to work with Mr. Oba or do those ideas in general? I mean, how, how, how does that, uh, those, those, the, that approach to looking at a process resonate with you and what you teach? Sure. So I didn't have the opportunity to work with Mr. Oba. I have worked with people from TSSC over the years, and uh, it, it resonates a great deal because it really gets back into, I find internally in our, in our network, we tend to distinguish an internal person that we're handing our, our work off to from an external customer. And the problem that creates is no matter where we are in the process, it's going to end up at an external customer, right? So uh, it, it's, it's sometimes difficult to coach. Well, I'm, I'm just handing it over to, you know, you know, Bob that works next uh, beside me and he's going to give it to Alice and I know them. We're all friends who work together. Okay, but if you pass a defect, then, they, then they've got to either catch it or fix it or give it back to you, right? And if they miss it, it goes out the door, the customer gets it. So, so your customer can be the next person in line, which is important to know, but we want to know that you're part of that supply delivery to that customer experience, that end customer, even somebody internal. And we, we, we tend to lower that and like, oh, it'll be fine. It's internal. It's no. <laughs> um, I'm going to throw a off the cuff question at you here. Sure. It, it's a, a question that uh, it seems like a Toyota-ish question because I, I was taught that this would often be asked. Um, so not to put you on the spot, but, mm-hmm. but Keith, in your role as um, you know, Raymond Lean Management System uh, slash TPS Manager, what, what are your top three challenges right now in that work? Sure. Well, they're, they're fun to look at those and break them down. Uh, the first is we're, we're serving the network. So uh, finding out what, what type of 
coaching and training we need to develop to help that network. Um, a lot of times I mentioned Toyota's got an immersive environment already. So um, one of my uh, uh, ROM associates, uh, she, she works with me. She taught English as a foreign language and English as a second language. If you're in an English immersive environment, learning English pretty easily. If you're in France and you're trying to learn English, not so many people speak it. If they do, they have a heavy French accent. It's going to be more difficult. So the first is how do we, you know, build upon and create that immersive environment support. Mm -hmm. uh, the other piece is, uh, you know, getting, getting more people at a level to kind of, you know, we're kind of building a pyramid, if you will. How do we get those, what we call champions of this process up to bring, draw in more people with them? Because ultimately we want the whole network to be thinking like this. And then find those opportunities to better support our customer to improve that customer experience one by one by one. So it's really, uh, it's getting that, that coaching to the network, getting those champions to help lead it, and then really uh, converting that to just the best possible customer experience. And those are really uh, big opportunities, but, you know, we're going to get to it because we're going to just break them down in those manageable bites. So, and there's days, uh, Mark, I, I won't kid you. I'll look at that and I go, <gasps> I'm just overwhelmed. Right. Coach yourself, breathe. <laughs> One What's step the next step? Eat, What's right? the next step? <laughs> and it's difficult. I tell people, you know, a lot of times when I'm 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 helping others, I'm doing a lot of self coaching. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So, thanks for letting me put you on the hot seat. But I figured that wouldn't be a difficult question for you to answer, and you you knew, I guess, right off what those challenges were. So may, maybe it's just you know before moving on from that in general, um, what are your thoughts on? Um, prioritizing? Because I was always taught that question about what, what are your top three challenges is partly to test how a leader is prioritizing things. How do you coach others around prioritizing, especially early on when you know we are not Toyota and we, we may see waste everywhere? Sure. Uh, is it a matter of lots of baby steps in parallel or how would you try to prioritize bigger challenges? Well, one of the early ways it comes in and people will overwhelm themselves. It's a common problem that they get very excited about this and they start trying to do everything. One of the things I learned, and this, this is another one of those examples of self-coaching. Um, what does your customer, what is your customer's priority? Because mm. a lot of times we'll start making changes, assuming I'm going to do my air quotes, assuming we know, but we didn't go talk to them. Yeah. And I, I'll give you a great example. I developed some, uh, some what I call operational training, which is the pyramids, early uh, just-in-time and quality training. And with incredibly consistent feedback, they wanted to, to learn the concept of weak point management before we talked about some of the smaller breakouts of, you know, PDCA and et cetera. I really didn't want to do it in that sequence, but everybody, you know, but you know what? I defer to my customer because they wanted to understand why we were walking into all these other pieces and so the, the receipt of it was better because I was giving customer experience. Now, is that the way I would have thought to deliver it? Mark, it's not. But you know what? I'm not the target audience. <laughs> right. And so, so the same thing with the, you know, the terminology we talked about earlier. I've been around the Japanese for many years. I'm comfortable with it. I've learned, I had to learn it. And at first I wasn't comfortable either. I'm comfortable with it now. So I'm, I'm over that uh, paradigm shift. But you know what? The people I'm responsible to, I need to convert to English. Yeah. So it's all good. It's yeah. whatever that customer needs. So, so what is the customer priority and give focus to that? Cause a lot of times it, it can surprise us. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, my challenge um, for healthcare listeners in the audience, um, 
I, I think that question extends really well. What do our patients really prioritize instead of, and, and, and don't fall into the trap of assuming, but go and ask, um, does a little bit of efficiency matter? Or, um, you know, I, I would always, you know, make the argument that to me, the best patient experience is a safe patient experience. So are we working on things that are maybe somewhat superficial or are we working on the most important issues related to uh, harm and death that could occur as the result of medical error? That's my mm -hmm. challenge for the audience. I don't know, any, any thoughts or inspirational words around that, Keith? Sure. So um, one of the other areas I coach on, if you're looking for priorities, is um, we're very specific of how we put out the metric areas. Uh, Mark, you've probably come across these. It's safety, quality, cost, delivery, morale, and environment. Yeah. And, and safety is always and environment the first. Meaning beyond work environment, meaning like impact on oh, the environment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're talking about the, the total environment. We want to measure that, you know. Um, a lot of facilities I've worked with are zero landfill facilities, and I love to use those examples. Yeah. They didn't become zero landfill, you know, in one swoop. They started with, well, let's let's you know, let's recycle all this paper we're printing, and let's recycle some aluminum cans. And it right, it comes in phases. It's one of my favorite examples. Um, and then larger facilities have on-site um, restaurant food service. One of the last things they'll they'll recover is usually is that, that leftover food. They they do uh, um, compost. Right. So, but it, that, that's, that's over time, but it's just such a great example of you, you can't throw out anything. What? I can't throw No, but you're going to get there through phases. It's an achievable target because others have done it. Mm. Um, but safety is always, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, I think um, zero harm or really uh, eliminating harm to staff or patients may seem overwhelming, but I was going to suggest it's, it's, it's many steps to get there. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But to your point, safety is the first and quality is the second. <laughs> Give those areas focus. Yes. Um, even going back to my days um, in the auto industry 20 plus years ago, yeah, it was SQDC. And then people also started talking about morale. And mm -hmm. then um, I, I, less often or more recently here, environment mm -hmm. being added to that. Um, you, you might be interested, like, you know, when I was working with um, a hospital lab in a children's hospital, this is over like 12 years ago, we were um, trying to engage everybody in Kaizen or, well, they use the word Kaizen, but we could call it mm -hmm. continuous improvement or what. what sure. And um, the, there was a big focus on serving patients, making your work easier. And then as that culture started to grow because of the interest of people in the group, there was a, a large number of people in the staff that really started gravitating towards environmental issues of reducing um, single-use plastic in yeah. lab operations and looking at different alternatives. And that was very self-motivated or it was self-initiated for that, that broader purpose of, um, of the environment and the planet. So like you said, when you make it fun and you make it easy yeah. for people to participate in that, they'll do it. Well said, Mark. Well said. So one other thing I wanted to ask you to touch on, you, you mentioned earlier the idea of learning uh, from mistakes. And <laughs> yes. bad assumptions can be a form of mistake. You know, I remember having drilled into my head, um, I think of like Tracy and Ernie Richardson, who are retired Toyota, always emphasizing, what do you know and how do you know it? Because that was drilled into them. And those are really useful questions. Um, so we, you know, we might learn we've made a mistake and assumption. 
maybe more broadly, um, how do you create an environment where it's safe to embrace mistakes as a way of learning and getting better? How do, how do you work on doing that at Raymond? That's that's a great question, and it's one we you know we try to tackle every day, and it's one we're trying to break down because. It's, it goes back to the early piece you said, respect and challenge. You, we have to have those values in, in there, and it has to become part of a culture of thinking. You know, it, one of the examples I use always is uh, because we're a large extent of service organization, right? When something breaks, we go fix it. <laughs> so we, we, that resonates to our, our solutions and support centers because they have service teams, right? So look, if we can't find what's broken, we can't fix it. So we've got to find what's broken so we can fix it. Just because we don't know it's there, it's still broken and it's still not, not functioning the way we want. So we've got to uncover it, but it's, it's a big challenge and can be very frustrating. It's, it's, it's an easy paradigm to say, you know, well, if, if, you know, if, if Joe can't do it fast enough, I'll put Mary in there and she'll do it fast. Right. It's very easy to become people focused, right. but really you might have someone that can just execute a poor process more rapidly, but it's still not sustainable. You know, they might have some talent or some uh, knick knack to it, but that's not a sustainable process build. And, and uh, we want to teach that. So we teach it that it's a good thing. And it's a, that's a big challenge for us to overcome, Mark. I, I won't kid you. We have a lot of problem with that one because it's, it's difficult to – people are taught from young up. We're taught that if, you get, if you're the one finding the mistake, it might be your mistake. <laughs> now it's on you. So we have to almost untrain some of that yes. and, and change that paradigm, that thinking to finding something that's wrong is good because now we have the opportunity to fix it. And we've got to look at it as opportunity. Yes. And so one of the things we've done is uh, typically we'll say defect, right? But a lot of times we'll start calling it disruption. We don't want a customer disruption. And it's a little less, um, you know, defects like, oh, something's wrong. <laughs> That's not, it, however we have to call it out. If it's a disruption to the customer experience, fine, you know, call it out. Um, but, but, but make it where we can embrace it as an opportunity because that's what it is. It really is. You know, we're employed because we fix things. Mm-hmm. We make something better, and that's why we have jobs. So I think that's a good thing. <laughs> and at least uh, it, I believe with current technology, um, robots are not able to learn and get better and improve the process. If there are times where we have back to the priorities of safety and quality, you know, I always had drilled into my head from my mentors we only automate something if it is safer. For the people working there, and and there might be some cases where, like, go at the say a Toyota assembly plant, some welding is better done by robots, some painting is better done by robots, and some painting yes. is still done by hand, yes, or by people, yes, say with sprayers. But um, so yeah, engaging everybody in that improvement um, really important. And and when we attempt improvements, you know, we plan and we test and we study, we may. Um, learn it didn't go as we predicted and and that's learning so I'm going to give a, a quick plug and you might be interested in it Keith and maybe I'll have you as a, a guest because I when I brought up mistakes you chuckled and I know from what we've talked before you're like me like yeah we make mistakes all the time uh, my, my uh, new podcast called my favorite mistake where we have people reflect on mistakes or a mistake that was um, a particularly important learning experience uh, in their journey so I'm going to give a quick plug um, absolutely uh, you might want to also go find my favorite mistake. So maybe one one other question for you, because um, I think it's really interesting where you're positioned 
being part of Toyota Industries, having been part of it for 20 years and clearly still being in the stage of a quote unquote journey um, yes, of, of still progressing and teaching and learning from um, Toyota. Um, it seems like there, there's a big difference between uh, being Toyota versus, if you will, trying to become Toyota, uh, as you mentioned, you know, that unlearning process and changing paradigms. I'm, I'm curious what else you've learned having come in to Raymond from other parts of Toyota. Um, how would you articulate that challenge? And, and again, this maybe isn't the best way of saying it, of being Toyota versus becoming Toyota. So that, no, that's a great question, Mark, because, um, and it's one we wrestle with a little bit at Raymond, you know, there's a great history in the Raymond Corporation of quality and, and customer experience and delivering, you know, top levels of, of product and uh, cutting edge technologies for the time. So, so that how we integrate this system, which is different a little bit, right? It's a way to speed that thinking up and really um, in, make it faster or better. Uh, it's like uh, adding a, a, a richer soil to the seed, right? The seed's growing and the plant's doing well, but we want it to do even better. So we, we want that uh, soil to be even richer for the progress to, to take a stronger, better root and have a better, better experience. One of the advantages uh, I really feel and uh, why I've enjoyed the, the Raymond side is Raymond's had the challenge to learn the system um, really to a large extent from the ground up. And, and that is a bit of an advantage in some ways because when you're a Toyota facility, you just assume everything's Toyota, right? But when you're a Raymond facility, you're like, well, you've got to become a continuous improvement. You're like, oh, I've got the, the paradigm is I've got to do everything. And it, you're like, breathe, you're going to be fine, but yes. <laughs> so it's been a fun challenge. As, as a result, we've had to put a lot more detailed um, early training experiences together um, to teach so many of those things. You know, we started earlier talking about what's common sense. Well, when you start calling things common sense, you, you feel like, well, everybody must know it. It's common sense, right? We don't. We don't. It's that counterintuitive piece you mentioned. So, so we've put a lot more focus in the training and the coaching piece to be more structured with it and to, to really be able to give positive feedback on success. And that's measured by the hands-on. You know, it's great that you take our classes. We, we love to have you in classes. We love to teach. But if you don't go back to the workplace or even your home or do something with it differently, we, it, it was waste by our definition, right? You didn't change. Mm-hmm. So we don't want you to just sit through a class. We want you to go back and see the world a little differently and approach it a little differently, piece by piece. And, and we've had to do that uh, in really from the ground up. So the good thing is having done it from the ground up, Lots of lots more learning and you know, lots more mistakes we've had the opportunity to learn from. So so good experience we've tucked under our belt. Yeah. And um, you mentioned earlier doing um, Kaizen at home. Maybe final, final question. I sometimes ask sure. more than one final question. You're, yeah. fi- you're fine. <laughs> I always enjoy talking to you, Mark. You, you go on as, as long as you need. I'm I'm fine. Well, maybe we'll we'll do another podcast because this has been uh, this has been really great talking with you and hearing from you. But um how often do people take those first baby steps with Kaizen at home and then come bring some of that experience or enthusiasm back into their work? So right, right now in a COVID environment, a lot of our projects are done at home, but even pre COVID changes, some of my best, um, I'll call them proteges or people that become really um, students of continuous improvement and, and really own that 
uh, journey for themselves and stay on that path once they get on it. Some of the best ones started at home. One of my favorites, um, she was a manager in the rental area. Uh, and she, she came back and she had done a laundry, uh, her laundry area for her kids. They kept putting the clothes wrong and she just got very frustrated and she wanted to teach them how to sort because eventually she, you know, as they got older, maybe you could help do the laundry or fold or something, right? And she did this fabulous visuals of how to separate the colors and the whites. And, you know, she did the instructions up there and, and she's like, oh my gosh, my kids enjoy doing laundry now. You know, they, they could help because they understood their contribution, right? They understood their value add. And so she, she brought that back to work and she was on fire. <laughs> She's like, we can make this. I mean, she felt empowered. I think is the word I'm looking for. She felt mm-hmm. empowered to be able to make those improvements at work because she'd made them at home. I've had people challenge me and said, oh, people have to get support to do this. I'm like, I, at certain levels, yes, but I have yet to come across the manager that is not okay with you having an organized workspace, just as a start. I haven't, I'm not saying that you, you stop your workday and clean up for eight hours and do nothing else. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're working in and you're getting more organized as you go, I haven't seen a manager yet that challenges that. So again, just, just doing it at home gives you that feeling that you really can do it. Now, I'll also caution, make sure your family is a little bit involved because I've also had some, my spouse from real partner, they're going to be the to kill me because, you know, I didn't throw out their stuff. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. And then they're going to blame me. Yeah, I don't know if that's better to learn at home or worse to learn at home, but there are lessons there. It's one thing to, um, let's say, rearrange your own uh, dresser drawers versus rearranging somebody else's stuff that 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 wouldn't be a good idea in the workplace and and yeah i'm sure that that's not a good a good idea at home yeah i've got a few nasty emails over over the years from both at home and at work for <laughs> getting into somebody else's area I'm like don't do, don't don't do that be respectful oh we have an opportunity to coach be respectful <laughs> it's not yours you yep. understand i didn't need it i wasn't using it yes because it's not yours you you weren't supposed to be using it <laughs> Well, that's a, a great kind of final reminder around um, engaging people, working with others. And then one other key point I'm drawing out of what you said earlier is um, I love your phrase, work readiness. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily organization for organization's sake, even though that might not be bad if it's self-directed. Sure. Um, but thinking about the purpose and the reason for doing that, um, even more important. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It starts there. If your workspace is work ready, then moving on to that, uh, delivering that best possible customer experience makes so much more sense. Yeah. And if you don't have what you need, you begin to fail right there. So yep. that's a solvable problem. It is. Well, um, our, our guest today has been um, Keith Ingalls from uh, Raymond. Um, you say Raymond Corporation? Yes. Yes. I thought that's what it was. Raymond Corporation. Um, I'll put links in the show notes for, for anyone who's just listening. Um, what, what's, uh, what's the website? Do you have resources on the website about the Raymond Lean Management Approach? Yes, it's RaymondCorp.com. We have some uh, information out there and we do uh, white papers and our marketing group does a great job putting things out. So by all means, uh, reach out to us and uh, you know, let us know what you're looking at and certainly reach out to myself or, or, or uh, some of our marketing team. We'll try to help you out. But we do a lot, uh, do a lot of white paper resources out there, and we're doing more and more uh, customer-ready training as well. Uh, we're vetting a lot of our internal training out to make it uh, customer-friendly, 
Um, so we're working on getting, we've got some e-learnings and things coming out. Uh, some are in process and, and several are available now. So look forward to helping, helping you on your lean journey as well. Well, thanks for that, Keith. And I'll, I'll, put, I'll look for uh, some more specific links. Um, like you said, white papers, other resources that I can put in the show notes. So, um, uh, and, and for those who are just listening and not watching, won't notice, um, Keith, like uh, many, almost always, Toyota people, he's wearing a red shirt. I feel bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a logo even. Um, I don't have a, a logo shirt, but uh, shoot, I should have worn a red. When we, when we chatted the first time, I had a red polo shirt on. I should have done that again. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I like red. It looks good. <laughs> it looks good on you, Mark. <laughs> so if anyone is just listening, this episode, like many of the other um, recent episodes, is available on uh, the YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, you might be learning that it's also available as an audio podcast. So we try to meet people where they are and, and how they want to consume information. But Keith, you've really shared a lot of um, great, great tips and insights and reminders I think are um, really useful for the audience. So I really appreciate that. And thank you for, uh, for being here today. That was a great pleasure, Mark. Thanks very much for letting me join you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.